Salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet Earth, The John Campion Show, coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming. And we, of course, are awesomely privileged to be joined by the streamer himself, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? John, you know, it's, as they said on the old Mickey Mouse Club, it's surprise day. And what's wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. And we have a surprise guest today, and I'm very excited to be streaming today. Uh, we do have a surprise guest who's not normally here with us on Wednesdays, but we are extra privileged today to be joined by Kimberly Curran. Kimberly, how you doing? Good to have you here. Hey, guys. My brosefs. My brosefs. It's... <laughs> It's Let's good. bro out, guys. It's good to have you here. And guys, it's really good to have the rest of you here today, too, as well. We do have a whole bunch of things that we need to talk about here today. So here's how today's show is going to go. We break it up into two different parts. The first half of the show, we're going to talk about a bunch of predetermined topics and subjects. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to go over and take your live comments and questions. How do you get a live comment and question here on the show? It's really simple. Simply go down into the description of this video, and you're going to see a tip link. Just click on that. That, or you could enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show, you know, if it's appropriate for the show. And, of course, you'll be getting your comment or question. You'll be supporting the channel, I should say, at the same time. And all of us involved here with the John Campion Show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. But for now, let's get into a couple of off-the-tops here, shall we? And our first off the top uh, is kind of a concerning one, and, and that is this. You know, Bob Odenkirk burst onto the scene. I mean, he's been around for a while, but he really hit everybody's radar when he was in Breaking Bad, obviously as Saul. And then his own spinoff series that has been, you know, maybe one of the most successful spinoff series ever, particularly when it comes to awards consideration, uh, with Bob Odenkirk's Better Call Saul. And then... He was starred in one of the first movies a lot of us went back to in the theaters to go and see with nobody. And that movie is great. And Odenkirk, I'll admit, at first I was like, am I going to be able to buy Odenkirk as an action guy? Yeah, we can buy Bob Odenkirk as an action guy. Well, some pretty concerning news came out as it was starting to get reported last night uh, that Bob Odenkirk, while in New Mexico filming the final season of Better Call Saul, uh, he collapsed. And right now, as far as I can tell, there is no update on his condition. They just said he collapsed. He was immediately attended to. They rushed him to hospital and that he was receiving medical care. Uh, I, I, This, of course, came out uh, later last night. I looked for updates this morning. The only update that was really there was what they originally said he was filming in Los Angeles. So they were actually filming in New Mexico, but that's really not relevant. So uh, right now we don't know what his condition is, but I, you know, when somebody collapses and goes to the hospital, no news is good news. Like I, 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 I was a little bit relieved to be honest with you. And I woke up this morning and saw no brand new updates on it. I'm like, okay, that makes me feel a little bit better. But anyway, you know, Rob, whenever you hear stuff like this and Odenkirk's a young guy, I mean, it's not like he's 58. Uh, he's a relatively young guy. So obviously this is a really concerning. Rob, when did you hear about this and, and what are your thoughts? Well, yesterday, you know, uh, I think I read it on Deadline. And it, uh, obviously when somebody, something happens during production, it's just, it's just terrible. And um, 
you know, my my heart goes out to him. I've always loved Bob Odenkirk. Uh, he's had such a great career. And, uh, you know, the final season of Better Call Saul, nobody. I mean, he's on a roll. He's at the peak of his of his powers. And I just I wish I wish him and his family all the best. I hope everything is fine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Kimberly, you when did you hear about this? What was your first reaction? Have you heard any updates that maybe I haven't heard about yet? No, I haven't heard any updates. And when I first saw it, the 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 those tingles down your spine that you don't want, you know, kind of hit me because um, we love we love our characters. We love people that are wonderful storytellers. He was he's a wonderful writer. He wrote on Saturday Night Live um in the heyday you know of the chris farley years and all that he was he's a great writer and 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 nobody man i was a little like oh john wick again but i was like oh (laughs) no let's go there let's do this and he was awesome and you know we love our storytellers so much and we see them in these roles that are larger than life and sometimes we're reminded that they're people just like us who knows if it was a dehydration thing, a blood pressure thing. We don't know yet, but um, it's just that reminder that, you know what, we're all the same. And at the end of the day, we got to continue to send well wishes and positive energy mm. and hope that people take care of themselves. Yeah, so our, our thoughts, well wishes and everything to Bob Odenkirk, uh, his friends, families and co-workers as well. Speedy recovery, man. And, and let's see you back up and running here real quick. And if we find out anything more, we will let you guys know about that. OK, guys, with that down, let's move on to another off the top. And that is this, you know, a little while ago. We've known for a while that, you know, of course, Suicide Squad is coming with James Gunn is directing. I've been very excited about that. I'm a very big James Gunn guy. I love James Gunn. Uh, I really like his movie making sensibilities. I wasn't the biggest fan in the world of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but I still liked it. I just didn't think it was quite as good as the first one. But other than that, I just love his films pretty much across the board. Now, we heard a little while ago about the early reactions to the early social media reactions to Suicide Squad, and they were off the roof. Well... The review embargo has officially lifted, and the actual full reviews are coming out right now. And a number of the actual full reviews are saying things like, this is the best DCEU movie ever made. And as of right now, as of this moment, it is holding a 98%. Now, granted, that's only that's a 98% with 40 reviews coming in. Again, the review embargo just lifted this morning, but they are coming in. But the reviews have kind of been off the chart. Uh, The Times in the UK says, now that's how you do it. Uh, Empire Magazine writes, when Gunn took on Guardians of the Galaxy, he turned nonsense into gold for Marvel. By giving the Suicide Squad the same sense of mischief and an equally surreal streak, he's done the same for DC. Uh, The Daily Telegraph in the UK writes, it's dazzling, colorful, and riotously crass, but also emotionally alive. Now, the one negative review, The one negative review, somebody who didn't have as great of an experience with it as as the others, came from Entertainment Weekly, and they wrote, The script hurts and jerks along with sort of forced forced festive glee. It's mounting body count uh, buffeted by uh, goofball banter and pounding soundtrack cues. So, hey, let's bounce it out. Uh, Entertainment Weekly gave it a C+. However, then you get to things like Mashable 
who says this Suicide Squad is a vast improvement. Uh, and in a world where a movie as bad as Suicide Squad 2016 exists, hey, that's enough. Uh, Flickering Myth writes, James Gunn is unleashed, unhinged, and unstoppable in the most absurd and gory DC film to date. The Globe and Mail writes, sometimes you just need to watch a humanoid shark tear a man in half. I love that. Uh, Forbes writes, the whole of James Gunn's zany and violent The Suicide Squad is less than the sum of its parts, but many of those parts are pretty damn great. So, and then again, like I said, a number of the critics I was reading on here, guys, actually saying this is the best DCU movie of all time. Now, for me, obviously, thems are fighting words because, you know, Man of Steel is clearly the greatest man uh, DCU movie of all time. But I am super excited for this. And Kimberly, let's start with you. You know, you heard about the early reactions. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Where have your expectations and anticipation levels been for Suicide Squad? And now that the full reviews are out, how have those uh, affected your expectations and anticipation? Well, I was I was a big the first one. I was a big fan of the characters. The story didn't quite come together for me in the first Suicide Squad. So when I heard that they were doing another one, one, I was surprised. But two, I was excited because I thought, you know what? The characters are so great and there's so much there to work with. And I was a little disappointed in the first one. So I was excited to go, OK, you know what? Let's give it another go. Let's do this again. I think we can get this right. And they got the right director for it. And I'm excited because, you know, as we've been watching movies roll out in 2021, we're getting back to the movies. We have an opportunity to just have fun. I mean, the first thing I thought of when I saw the trailer was it's not a live action like cartoon. This is like a cartoon come to life. The colors, the vibrancy, the humor. I mean, unlike many cartoons, the hyper violence. But you know what? We need that escapism right now. So I think it's right on time. A second go for this film to revisit some characters that are familiar, introducing some fun characters. I mean, yeah, who doesn't want to see a shark walking around <laughs> tearing people in half? Shark week is enough. But now I got to run from you. Oh, yeah. Sylvester Stallone is now the king of Shark Week. Uh, anyway, Rob, uh, for you, the same question. I know you've been looking forward to it, but heading into today, where's your anticipation level been? What are you expecting? And how, if any way, have these reviews now coming out, this this pretty high rating coming out, how has that affected it? Well, first of all, I you know, I've been a James Gunn fan for literally decades. I had an opportunity to work with him a little bit over 20 years ago on a movie called The Specials that he wrote and he was in. And I've loved him since then you know since meeting him and it's just it's great to see his sensibility after something like slither and then after super to be tapped by kevin feige to move over to guardians of the galaxy and now having him you know basically warner brothers threw him a life raft you know and said hey come over here when uh, he had a, a, a some little trouble over some past tweets and things like that and i love the fact that the studio banked on him and let his imagination run riot and that he look, I got to tell you, never in my life did I ever think I would see Starro depicted <laughs> in live action. Never in my much less polka dot man, King Shark. I mean, we've seen King Shark, another iteration of King Shark. But the characters that have been that James Gunn went for, I mean, and th that a studio has spent what a close to 200 million dollars on this movie or however much it costs, 165 million. I, I just love the fact that I live in the world today where this movie exists. So my anticipation for it has been quite high. And I don't think I've ever heard, you know, we have a few industry friend, friends that you and I both know who 
thought this movie is one of the greatest comic book movies they've ever seen. The resounding response from other people in our pundit space when they screened it at IMAX headquarters was through the roof. Yeah. And I, uh, I actually have a little bit of an exclusive Ooh. that I can offer. Okay. So, so last, oh, shoot. last night, through certain machinations, I ended up running into a, a very good friend of James Gunn's who has seen three episodes of Peacemaker. Oh, the, the new Peacemaker series and said, I mean, look, take this with a grain of salt. But this person seemed incredibly knowledgeable and, and knew a lot. I, I very much take him at his word. He knew a lot about James and clearly they were friends like he said they were. And he said the Peacemaker series is terrific and it harks back more toward what James was doing with Slither and um, Super. So I was like, okay, I'm totally there for that. You know, I love hearing that because Slither is my favorite James Gunn film. So you know I like hearing that. I'm a huge (laughs) Slither fan, too. By the way, great Blu-ray that Screen Factory put out. Uh, So I, I am very, very, very excited to see this movie. Yeah, I can't wait. And, and again, just to reiterate, like uh, we have a I have a producer friend of mine um, who got to see an early viewing of it, who actually told us he thought it was a top three greatest comic book film of all time. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to think oh, that. Yes. That doesn't mean we're going to think that when we see right. it. He's just one guy. But I mean, that's pretty cool to hear. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the sounds of Suicide Squad? The full reviews are now coming out, and they're pretty damn spectacular. What's your expectation levels like right now? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to another off the top, and that next one is this. You know, filed under the category of movie franchises that should have been abandoned a long time ago, uh, you'll find under the D section, Die Hard. Now, Die Hard 1, 2, I like Die Hard 2. I don't love Die Hard 2, but I like Die Hard 2. Love 1, obviously. 3 is actually my favorite. 3 is my favorite one with Jeremy Irons. It's still one of my favorite. Good Lord. Uh, Samuel Jackson as, uh, hey, Zeus. No, it's just Zeus. Um, I love him. <laughs> that whole The dynamic between Samuel Jackson and... And Bruce Willis in that movie was absolutely fantastic. Oh. And then they kept going. And they kept going. Yeah. And they kept going. Um, and it has not been received well. Now, then, a couple of years ago, word came out that they wanted to do another Die Hard. They wanted to do a Die Hard 6. And that this one was going to jump back and forth between being prequel and present day. Prequel, so we were going to see a young John McClane in the early days of his career. And that somehow that would be connected to something that's going on with John McClane today. And right up until the Disney merger with Fox, that was still on the table. Bruce Willis was still talking about it. It was going to happen. Well, it's now official. It's not happening. It has officially been canceled. The project is done and off the table. And that was confirmed by producer Lorenzo de Bonaventura, who confirmed that, yeah, it's it's no longer happening. It's It's a done thing. I believe, personally, not only is this particular iteration you know, of a Die Hard 6 done, I think this actually marks the end of the Die Hard franchise. I think this means it's a, it's official. The Die Hard franchise is done. And if it is indeed done, it, it causes me to scratch my head a little bit and think about what is the legacy of Die Hard going to be? And I personally think this, guys. I think that the legacy of Die Hard is going to be 
no one will ever talk about or think about four or five. I don't think they're ever going to talk about them. I don't think they're ever going to talk about that there was almost a six. I think exclusively when people think of Die Hard, we're just going to think about one, two, and three, particularly one. Because, you know, Rob, every Christmas there's going to be the same debate. Every Christmas the debate will reemerge. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I know that it's not. And you foolishly believe that it is. So, I mean, and there are, I think uh, there are a lot of people in both boats, but so it's always going to be talked about. It is one of the, that for, even though Die Hard 3 to me is my favorite one, Die Hard 1 is forever immortalized as one of the great action films of all time. With one of the most quotable movies of all time. And it's uh, it will forever have its place. Even if they made six and six sucked, Die Hard One will always be remembered as one of those iconic Mount Olympus kind of action films ever made. And so if this is indeed the end of the line for John McClane, and it's the last time we've ever heard Yippie Kaye uh, coming out about it, uh, it's it's already cemented its legacy. Even if four and five were bad, even if they made six and it was bad, the legacy is already secured. Rob. Number one, just start with the more immediate question. Was it the right move for them to cancel six? And if this is it for Die Hard, what is the legacy of this franchise? Well, based on Bruce Willis's performance, performances or lack thereof over the last 10 years, I would say that it's probably best that they don't make this movie. Uh, I mean, he just every I, I I loved Bruce Willis as a performer. I mean, I think back, he did some really great work, especially like you said in the '90s. Uh, he worked with a lot of different directors. He Luke Besson in The Fifth Element. He worked with Alan Rudolph. He did a lot of really a really a lot of great work where he was in an incredibly diverse uh, slate of films. They were all over the map, and and. I never felt like he was phoning it in. I mean, over the last couple of years, it looks like he's been in these little movies where he gets paid a million bucks to show up for a day or two, shoots a few scenes and leaves, and they shoot the rest of the movie around him and then say he's the star. And I understand that because Bruce got to get paid. I understand. But it bums me out because I used to think that he was a great performer, and I really loved, uh, loved him. I loved him. I loved the energy that he brought. I love to sort of wry humor. Hell, I even love Hudson Hawk. A lot of people <laughs> hate that movie. There's a lot of things I love about Hudson Hawk, Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhard being the two greatest things about that movie. But like you, I mean, Die Hard, not only is Die Hard one of the great action films ever made, for me personally, it was one of the most unexpected movie-going experiences I ever had because I went with my friend Taylor White in the summer of 88 to a public sneak they played it a week before it opened to generate word of mouth. And we were literally, as they said, blown through the back of the theater. I right. had I did not have many expectations for Die Hard. But one of the great things about Die Hard is its sprawling narrative and all the different points of view, from the crazy FBI guys to Argyle, the limo driver, to Hans Gruber's entire crew, this, the smaller stories within Han, Hans Gruber's crew, Holly Gennaro and Ellis and John McClane himself. I mean, it's a beautifully made movie. Jan de Bont's photography is incredible. John McTiernan's powerhouse direction is amazing. Richard Edlund's 65 millimeter special effects. Um, that film is the pinnacle of what studio filmmaking should be. And you had a really uh, powerhouse emerging director in John McTiernan who would come off a of Predator to do that movie. Uh, 
it, it's an amazing, amazing film. And I would, John, I would even go further. I, I'm a fan of Die Hard 4. Live Free or, free die, or hard. die Hard. I think there's some good stuff in it. I don't like the fact that they released a PG version and then an R-rated version, which I thought was stupid. But I understand, you know, because after all, Die Hard's for kids, right? But um, I, 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 I think the franchise, like you said, I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. I love the, the like that buddy cop. It, it was a throwback to like 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte or Midnight Run with De Niro and Charles Grodin. I really liked that dynamic between the two of them. And Sam Jackson was great. He was just great. And the humor in it was great. Loved it. So what can I say? There you go. I love the Die Hard franchise. <laughs> Kimberly, let, let's ask you the same thing. Number one, yeah. was it the right decision to cancel this or should they have gone ahead and tried to revitalize it? And number two, if this is the end of the line for Die Hard, how do you see its lasting legacy? Um, definitely. Well, first, the most important thing, um, Christmas Joy does come through quippy one-liners, bullets and explosions. So <laughs> I disagree. Um, but I'm, I'm at peace. I think I'm at peace with the fact that they didn't go through with it because it is one of those classics where it's like, you know, if you're going to continue the story and it's going to make sense and you're still going to have that energy that John McTiernan made from the first one, then fine. But when it goes like this here, you're going to have to stop. You're going to have to stop yourself a little bit. So I am totally fine with the fact that they stopped it. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite action movie franchises. I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. Um, I love Bruce Willis, you know, and, and he continues to do great work. But I really feel like um, Does he, it's though? time to stop. Does he continue I, to do great let work? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. While. Something about him. He has this charisma and he's such a daddy with his bald head. I absolutely, the older he gets, the more I'm like, okay, hi. Um, I absolutely <laughs> okay, love hi. Bruce Willis. And even though he does like a lot of stuff that you're like, why are you in this? For, he brings this charisma that I watch everything that he's in. I watch it and I like it, you know, but the original Die Hard. And to me, if you're not going to cap off a good action scene with some saxophone in the background, then you just need to stop. Let's stick with the originals. <clears throat> Well, guys, the question is for you. Is what? it a Christmas movie? It, it is not a Christmas movie. It is. Yes, uh, it is. We're not going to get into this debate again. Let's take, o let's no, take over, it's Rob. It's done. It's... <laughs> the question is for you guys. What do you think about this whole thing? Do you think maybe that maybe there's a chance they could have revitalized Die Hard now that it was under the new banner? Maybe they should have moved forward with it. Are you, are you like, no, thank goodness they killed it off. And if it is done... To you, what is the long-lasting legacy of Die Hard? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top. I told you there was a bunch for us to talk about here today, but let's do one more off the top, and that is this. You know, uh, speaking of the MCU and things like that, of course, one of the movies that are coming out that everybody is, is talking about, at least around here, we're very excited about it, is the new Shang-Chi. And by the way, just let me say, uh, there's been a little bit of a debate going on about how to pronounce Shang-Chi because I've heard Kevin Feige say it both ways. I've heard him at an event say Shang-Chi. I've heard him say Shang-Chi. It's spelt Shang-Chi. And I've always said, well, you know what? When the movie comes out, we'll hear it said and then it'll end the debate. But there's a brand new teaser mm -hmm. for Shang-Chi that just came out. 
And in it, there's a narrator who actually says it, and they officially pronounce it as S. Uh, it's pronounced S H U N G. Is how it's pronounced. It is pronounced Shang Chi. So for all those you guys who were telling me you thought it was pronounced Shang Chi, you win the prize. You guys were right. It is Shang Chi. So anyway. Brand new little teaser for it came out. Now, it's a one-minute teaser that they dropped, and it gave us a few new looks. Like, it gave us a little bit of a better of an idea about the dynamic that's going to be going on between uh, Simu Lu's character and his father's character. There's a couple of extra lines thrown in there that we haven't before. I thought there was a very cute moment in the trailer where Aquafina, who by, I'm starting to really like her, although I still really don't like the name. Anyway, um, Aquafina's looking up at him in the cage, the same cage that we saw Abomination and Wong in in an earlier trailer, and he's shirtless, and she goes, where's your shirt? And I, I'm not going to lie, I laughed at that. I laughed out loud at that. I thought it was pretty cute, pretty funny. We got to see him like with the rings and stuff like that, which I thought was really cool. Actually, let me see if I can pull that picture up here right now. I think I can, yeah. So we get to see where his, like, he's facing off against his father, who's got, like, the blue lit rings, and then we juxtapose against him with the other color rings. I thought it was really good. I am finding my anticipation level, guys, and my excitement level for this just growing more and more, and I am pretty excited about what we're going to see in this movie, and it's getting close. It's getting close. It's not far away now. Anyway, Kimberly, you had a chance to watch this teaser this morning. What did you think about it? I'm so excited. It was dope. It brought the dopeness. I am so excited. I like that they showed more. Aquafina, homegirl, is so funny. I I am really loving her. I mean, I loved her in Crazy Rich Asians, but I think she was a great casting in here. And I think that she has great chemistry and I'm so excited. And, and also um, just seeing how they're bouncing. Kind, it seems like they're bouncing between time, kind of showing the history of the rings. Right. And it just made, it did exactly what a trailer is supposed to do. It made me more excited. And, and because it's a new, it's a new to me. I didn't, I didn't read the comics for Shang-Chi. Um, and so I'm, like who's this who's this underwater who's this be this beautiful martial arts that i see you know um i'm just so excited about everything that's happening so i loved it i loved it they're bringing it man they're really doing a great job with this so i have high, i have super high expectations for Rob, the film I, I wasn't expecting a new like short teaser to be dropped so soon like you know you expect the 30 second television spots but this is a full minute you had a chance to take a look at it what kind of an impression did it make on you dude <laughs> I want to see this movie. I I, I, I want to see this movie so badly. I mean, I did read Master of Kung Fu, the comics, when I was a kid. I, I love this character. And uh, there's so much in this trailer that I love. And I have to say, in this new minute-long spot, they show part of the scene of, of something that happens on the bus uh, that I thought was a, a really impressive effect shot, which is this bus gets cut in half and... Uh, Shang Chi gets, he comes into the foreground and he's on one half of the bus and the other half of the bus is cut loose and flies back. And I'm like, that was really impressive. Yeah. I thought that because it's a combination of, I mean, that was a, that was a tough shot to pull off. And, uh, I was like, that's really cool. I haven't seen that before. And I have to say something else. I used to always say the actor, Tony Leung was one of my, he's one of my favorite actors. He plays Shang Chi's father. I was corrected by my friend Zephyr Chan, and she told me that it's Lung. It's not Leung. It's just Lung. 
So I'm like, I've learned how to speak two Japanese words or Chinese words properly. Japanese words, two Chinese words properly because of this movie. And I feel like I'm a better man for it. Um, yeah. Question is for you guys. Did you guys have a chance to watch this new trailer for Shang-Chi? Uh, I really dug it, even though it was only one minute thing. Again, not a whole ton of brand new footage, but a few little things that we haven't seen before. The anticipation is rising. What did you guys think about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live questions, shall we? Or not your live questions, I'm sorry. Let's start taking the main questions of the day. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia Show? Well, it's really simple. You guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you guys come across a big topic issue or story that you think we need to have as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Roberto H. Medell, who writes, Some days ago on Comic-Con at Home, Robert Kirkman teased the Invincible movie, live-action movie. Apparently, it was announced years ago, but nobody noticed until now. He said it would be very different from the series, but how do you think the success of the series will affect the production of this movie? Also, I would think a streaming series format is very suited for the gore and themes of the material. Do you think that those changes will go in that route? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen... One of my big pleasant surprises in entertainment this past year has been Invincible. Now, look, I'm not going to lie. I don't think the animation style is very good. To be frank, I don't think the animation style is all that good at all. But it works just fine for the story, and it's the story. This, it, it just it blew me away right from episode one, and then the ending of episode one with the massacre. It's just... What the hell? It reminded me a lot of the ending of the first episode of um, uh, Milo Ventimiglia's Heroes. And the, the end of that first episode is like, that's it. First episode, I'm hooked. And the ending of that first episode of Invincible was incredible. You got the incredible voices going on in it as well. Just a terrific voice cast. Um, I just love this show. How do you do a live action movie version of it? That, that's very challenging. But anyway, this comes to us from the folks, or this comes to us from Robert Kirkman himself, who talked about this at Comic-Con at home in a streaming event. He says, when asked about how would this live-action movie that they're trying to get going differ from the animation, he said, I'm not telling. This is another one of those things that's a little early going, but I will say that there are massive efforts going into making sure that the film experience is unique and separate from the animated series, while also being true to Invincible. I couldn't be more excited about the stuff that we are doing, but I can't tell you yet. So that comes to us from the creator, of course, Robert Kirkman. This is interesting because, you know, Rob, when you do look at Invincible, when you, when you look at this material and you think about how on earth do you make this live action and how do you bring that visceralness? But, but look, at the same time, when a lot of people talk about 
Invincible, one of the first things they talk about is the gore and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, to me, that's not what makes the show great. It certainly makes it a very visceral experience, but it's not what makes a show great. It's great characters. It's great story. Like, I found myself on the edge of my sheet seat for episode after episode going, why is Omni-Man doing this? What's going on? Why did he, like, you, you know, I found myself on the edge of my seat a lot. It's the story. It's the narrative. That's what makes it great. It makes it in with that visceral violence is also really cool, too. So <laughs> I will just say this. I don't know how you do a live action Invincible. I, I don't know how you do it. But I am also very intrigued and interested to see what they do if they do it. Rob, let me ask you. What do you think about the idea of a live-action Invincible? Is, is it something that should, they should just say, listen, it works great in the animated form, we should leave it as that? Or are you thinking, are you kidding me? This is a potential goldmine. And then how do you pull it off in a live-action way? What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think, look, you know, we have other things that we can look to, whether it's the Umbrella Academy, the boys, and now... James Gunn's Suicide Squad, you can certainly duplicate the tone. The violence is not a problem. Um, I think it's like any other live action movie. You have to have great actors cast in the roles and uh, you have to have a great script and a great director. And I think that we, I mean, certainly the boys has not uh, shied away from any kind of graphic violence from the opening of the episode. <laughs> I mean, uh, of the first episode anything goes in that show and i think with invincible you know it really comes down to everything anything else any other fantasy science fiction show you have to ground it in some kind of reality and invincible certainly does that and it plays with previously existing superhero tropes and i think all you have to do well all you have to do is turn it into a great movie <laughs> it's just that and simple look I've, as i've always said Part of making movies is alchemy. It's Rumpelstiltskin spinning straw into gold. And there's always an element <laughs> of that. There's always an element of, of magic or alchemy in, in movie making that is that undefined magical pixie dust. And definitely Invincible is going to need that because I think what's really hard to do is the tone. Yeah. You know, it's really difficult jumping around and, and Invincible, the most important thing is to set that tone so when things get too crazy, it doesn't spin off into oblivion where you can't pull it back i mean you know i think a movie like chronicle I, I, the first thing i thought about uh, when i think about invincible is i go back to chronicle and how chronicle was done and there was a there was as you as i like to say verisimilitude and they did a really good job if i was going to do an invincible movie i would look to chronicle yeah chronicle is actually a really great example i like that comparison a lot kimberly you know what do you think about the possibility? Is the idea of a live action Invincible movie appealing to you? Is it, do you think they should just leave it where it is? What are the challenges you see? What's your reaction to this? Oh, go for it. Because if you think about it, Batman the Animated Series has been on since the early 90s. And how many different iterations have we seen with different directors that took really interesting points of view um, and tones with the property and brought us something that, that we loved? You know, it you know, from Tim Burton all the way up until Christopher Nolan. And you still, I mean, mind you, it's not the same exact audience, but I don't think it undermines the animation that's out there because the animation has its tone that it set and it being respectful to the story. But I think we've seen this with Batman. You can totally do something different with the film while honoring the story and honoring the characters that we love. So I say go for it. And I say, you know, 
the show is so much deeper than just the violence. You know, I know that I'm, I'm very squeamish. So (laughs) it was, it was really, I was like, Oh, this is a, this is awesome. Oh God. I can't, I'm going to pass out. I can't do gore very well, but I feel like, you know what, after seeing the boys, you know, um, and it's so funny. I know Jupiter's legacy didn't like, you know, take off. I wish, I wish it did. But um, Josh Dumel with the gray hair, he was reminding me of like, I, I, he got me thinking like, oh, what would a live action Omni Man look like? And and just his vibe with his costume and his hair got me thinking about what they could do with it. And so I say go for it. And honestly, I think it'll be really well because they did such a good job with the animation. So do it, do you it, know, man. I, you know, it was Omni Man was voiced by J.K. Simmons. And after you watch uh, Tomorrow War, and you see J.K. Simmons like jacked, jacked, it's like yeah. you might, your first thought is just get J.K. Simmons to play Omni Man. But but in reality, J.K. Simmons is probably about a foot and a half too short to play Omni Man. You'd probably have to get like some like really some tall guy, or whatever. But hey, I'm down. Question is for you guys: What do you think? about the notion of a live action invincible like do you think it could play out well in a movie format do you think they could translate that feel and that dna into a live action environment do you think they should just leave it as the animated thing whatever you guys think jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys hey listen before i go any further i just want to mention that uh since the show started guys a trailer dropped online for the upcoming uh, Will Smith movie, King Richard, uh, it dropped. And I'm only, we'll probably talk more in depth about this on the show tomorrow, but I did just want to point out uh, look who's there in the trailer. Uh, of obviously, there's Will Smith, but there's our very own Aaron Cummings. Uh, in the tra- she made it wow. into the trailer, which is pretty. Now, I haven't, I haven't Go watched. Aaron! I haven't watched the trailer yet myself. I, I just uh, opened up the trailer for a couple of seconds, and I, as soon as I saw Aaron at at second seventeen, I just paused it. So I don't know if she's in more of the trailer. I don't. I don't know. But yay, Aaron! Go, Aaron! So, yes. And, and, and by the way, to everybody, normally tomorrow being Thursday, Aaron is usually on the show. However, she had to travel out to the East Coast uh, today. She's actually traveling today to the East Coast, so maybe she'll be on uh, Monday or Tuesday and Thursday next week to make up for it. But she sends her regrets. But yeah, she's in the King Richard trailer. Yay, Aaron! Indeed. Okay. Sorry, I got I got sidetracked by you that. You freaked guys. me out, John. I thought you were going to say Spider-Man and I was going to oh. um, <laughs> leave the camera and just leave you with like my mic swinging and be like, I got it. I'm sorry. Peace out. I got to go see this. <laughs> yep. No, 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 not that. Not still that waiting. Still waiting. Still waiting. All right, guys, listen, let's go on. Let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by... Uh, Mitchell A., who writes, Hey, John. The producers of the upcoming Predator prequel, now officially titled Skull, gave an interview revealing a number of things, but most importantly, that the film has almost finished filming. What do you think about this new interview and the upcoming film? All right, so, you know, it's funny. It was not long ago that somebody wrote in and asked about if they're going to do another Predator thing. And I'm like, I don't know. I said, and I think one of the things I said was, for all I know, they're already shooting one. But I mean, I, I haven't heard anything about a new Predator film. I, it just completely flew under my radar. Because there is a new Predator film. And apparently it's almost finished filming. And nobody knows anything about it. And I don't know anything about who's in it. I don't know anything about the cast. 
It's just called Skull. Now, apparently it is a prequel. This much we know right now is that it's going to be a prequel uh, to the stuff that we know. This comes to us from the folks over, or this comes to us from the producers, John Davis and John Fox, who are, of course, the producers of Predator, who write, uh, it goes back to what made the original Predator movie work. It's the ingenuity of a human being who won't give up, who's able to observe and interpret, basically being able to beat a stronger, more powerful, well-armed force, he said. It actually has is more akin to The Revenant than it does to any of the previous Predator films. You'll know what I mean once you see it, Fox added. While Davis would not specify an exact timeline, instead saying, you can use your imagination, it is early. It is early. So that's interesting. So they're going back to the whole idea of, you know, person versus nature. That's kind of a cool idea. To say it's more revenant than it is predator, that's actually really exciting to me. Because when you think about that, you know, man versus environment kind of film that that is, a predator, just replace a bear with a predator and you got the makings for a pretty cool story there. Now, what's interesting is when they talk about the timeline, they just say it's early. So are we talking dawn of man early? Are we talking, you know, Victorian era early? Are we talking, you know, whatever? So I, I don't know, Rob, you hear about this thing about Predator. Uh, number one, were you aware? Because maybe we talked about it even. I just forgot about it. Were you aware there was a new Predator film shooting? It's almost done shooting. And what timeline do you think this thing might take place in? Honestly, I'm baffled by this because uh, a new Predator movie shooting would be, I would imagine, kind of a big deal. Um why would something like this be made under the radar? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, I'm I'm flabbergasted, to be honest. I mean, look, I I was not a fan of the last Predator movie, but the movie before that, Predators, the Robert Rodriguez helm, did he direct it? I think he produced it, but I liked it. The one with Larry Fishburne and um, and um, Adrian. Um, why am I trying to blank his last name? I like Brody. Brody. Yeah, I liked it. And so I love the Predator franchise. I like Predator 2 a great deal. And, of course, I like the original. So I'm surprised that this movie is underneath the radar. Now I want to know all about it. Where did it come from? Who's directing it? Who wrote it? Who greenlit it? Who, who did the effects? <laughs> there, there are many questions. They, they've done, been able to do something here in this era that is incredibly difficult to do. In, a, in an age and era where we have everybody in the world is able to walk around with a global audiovisual communications device uh, that can instantly spread information like wildfire. To keep a project like really under wraps is, is pretty impressive. Anyway, Kim, uh, you hear about this. Number one, what do you think about a new Predator movie? Is, this, is it like a diehard situation? Is it something they should have moved on from? Because, you know, I was so excited for Shane Black's Predator. I was so excited for that movie, and it was... <laughs> awful so i don't know where booty whack. With it. but anyway what are your thoughts Boo. on this i'm excited about it i'm actually excited about it i love the original predator i pretty much don't like any of the other ones however i think that dan trashenberg did a great job with 10 cloverfield lane and what makes the first one great is the suspense they're in the jungle you for most of the movie you're you don't even know like what's going down and so I think he's got the suspense factor, but something that when he made that comment 
about like, you know, how far back they're going. I was thinking about the one with Danny Glover and when he was fighting um, all the predators and one of them, this was so random, by the way, handed him like it was this old gun that looked like the gun that shot Alexander Hamilton. It was like 1776 style. And that's what it makes me think where they're going to go when he says, like, they're going mm. the way of the Revenant. Like, this is like Oregon Trail gone wrong. <laughs> and so it made me think of that scene because that was so random. There were so many random things in that movie anyway. But that was really random. And so I think they're going to do a callback to that and kind of tell the story of where that gun came from. Ooh. Because that's the era I think that they're they're going to go with. And because um, you got to have weapons of, of some sort to, to kind of fight the thing. But um, I think it could be interesting. But I think that they pick the right director that can bring the suspense, because it, honestly, people try to be real quippy with the one liners. And that was something that made the original Predator, you know, great with, you know, your sexual Tyrannosaurus Rex and whatever. And a lot of great, <laughs> a lot of great, a lot of great one liners, you know, however, when something's just so natural and you try to copy it, that's when you're just going wrong. But I feel like if they get back to the suspense, everything else will follow. Right. And that, cause that's the purest form of predator for me. I I'm such a huge fan. So I have a lot of faith in this. I don't feel the same way about it as I do with Die Hard. I'm actually excited. <laughs> All right. Well, the question becomes for you guys. What do you think about them making another Predator movie? I, 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 my, my overall feelings have soured on Predator a bit just because of my big disappointment with Predator, but maybe they can come back with a vengeance on this. How are you guys feeling about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Dennis Nagwit who writes, Hi, John. A couple of months ago, you did a video where you said that some rumors going around about Mina Masoud, that's the guy who played Aladdin in the most recent uh, live-action Aladdin film, possibly being cast as Ezra in the upcoming uh, Ahsoka series, were probably legit, as you heard from a source that the rumors were, in fact, real. Uh, wondering if you saw that Rosario Dawson herself has shared on Instagram that not only is Mina going to play Ezra, but that Lars Mikkelsen, Mads Mikkelsen's brother, who also did the voice of Grand Admiral Thrawn in the animated series, is going to play Grand Admiral Thrawn. What do you think of this casting? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. And what Dennis is talking about is a couple of months ago, it was in January or February or something like that, there were some rumors going around online that Mina Massoud, who I really liked in Aladdin, I mean, I, I liked him a lot. I even liked his singing until Naomi Scott started singing. <laughs> because Mina Masoud's singing was great until Naomi Scott started singing. Like, oh, that's what a real singer sounds like. Anyway, but his acting as Aladdin, I thought, was wonderful. And I love the dynamic between him and Will Smith. I thought he was great. But there were rumors going around that he may be cast as, uh, as Ezra Bridger in the upcoming Ahsoka series. Of course, Ezra is a character from Rebels. Now, at first, I just didn't talk about those rumors because to me, it was another one of those rumors that was, hey, it's probably not true. But if it is true, one of the major trades will report it and we'll talk about it then. So I just ignored it for a few days. However, then <clears throat> we did talk about it on the John Campus show a few days later because I got a call from somebody and we talked about this on the show. I said on the show that I had gotten a call from somebody and uh, 
the result of that conversation was I believed the rumor now. And that's when we talked about it on the show. And now what has happened is this. There has not been an official confirmation from the studio. Let's just be clear about that. The studios have not confirmed that Mina Massoud is going to play Ezra and that Lars Mikkelsen is going to play um, Grand Admiral Thrawn. So what's this new buzz coming from? The new buzz is coming from the fact that Rosario Dawson, ah, Rosario Dawson. Anyway, Rosario Dawson um, actually put up on Instagram, she shared on Instagram another social media post from somebody else that said Ezra Bridger is going to be played by Mina Massoud, Lars Mikkelsen is going to be playing Grand Admiral Thrawn, and... Rosario Dawson took that and shared it on her Instagram. Now, just because a celebrity likes something on Twitter or Instagram doesn't mean that that thing is fact. Just because somebody isn't following somebody on Instagram or on Twitter doesn't mean that those people are feuding. Just, I mean, social media, you got to take with a giant grain of salt about what is, because people like to make mountains out of molehills. We all do it. I mean, we all do it. We make mountains out of molehills. But in an environment where for several months there have been rumors about this happening, and now Rosario Dawson decides to actually not just click like or something, she actually shared that on her Instagram. Again, that's not 100% official confirmation. That does not make it 100% official confirmation. But it sure does go a long way for suggesting the validity of of those reports it goes a long way to suggesting validity still not 100 percent official we may find out tomorrow that it's not but when the star of the series is sharing on their social media other posts about it's going to be mina masoud and it's going to be lars mickelson it's 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 at least worth talking about this comes to us from the folks at screen rant who raise a really good point and they write the following they write while dawson could just be just be the flames of excitement uh, for her series and those casting rumors specifically star wars has already set a precedent for casting voice actors to play their animated characters in live action when katie sackhoff brought bo katan to the mandalorian because remember katie sackhoff did the voice of bo katan in the animated series and they brought her in to be the actress in the live action as well Fans have been advocating for Lars Mikkelsen to portray Thrawn as well. Both he and Masoud fit their respective roles physically, with the latter previously expressing interest in Ezra on social media. Many have theorized that Thrawn in the New Republic will position himself as the big bad, Grand Moff Gideon, or Moff Gideon's boss, of the Ahsoka series, The Mandalorian, or both. So that comes to us from the folks at Screen Rant. And guys, they raise a great point. The really big point that they raise here is the fact that Disney and, and Star Wars has shown a precedent to go out and pluck out somebody they had doing the voice. Now, obviously, they didn't do that with the Ahsoka character because they went and got Rosario Dawson to do it. But that was a great choice. Rosario Dawson elevates everything she's in. So that's great. But again, this just kind of gives more credibility to this. So on the first question of, do I think these reports are real? It needs to be emphasized these are not official, it's not been confirmed, but I personally believe this is what's happening. I've believed it. I didn't know about the Lars Mickelson thing, but I've believed the Mina Massoud thing since the beginning of the year. 
And I do believe this Lars Mickelson thing. Again, it's not confirmed. It's not official. But for now, I'm believing it. If it is true, I love it. I, I think Mina Massoud, again, showed us that he can be terrific in Aladdin. I think he physically, not that this is the most important thing it's not, but physically, he's a perfect match to play a slightly a more grown-up version of Ezra. I think it's perfect for that. Lars Mikkelsen, he'll bring the voice. I personally like the guy who does the voice of uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn more, who does the audiobooks, but but whatever. Uh, Lars Mikkelsen's voice of Thrawn is great. He really brings that presence to it. So I believe that it's true, even if I don't know that it's true. And if it is true, I really like it. Kim, uh, you hear about both of these things, Mina Massoud, Lars Mikkelsen. Number one, do you believe the reports? Like, do you do you think Rosario Dawson putting this out on her social media, not just liking it or whatever, but she actually posted it on her social media, is that enough to convince you that it could be real or at least make you believe it? And if it is true, how do you feel about the casting? Look, okay, so Rosario Dawson is the greatest recipient of fan casting. I mean, thanks to Boss Logic, she... <laughs> was the, the, the you know he really put her in that position and you know and she, and she really saw that and wanted to manifest it and did you know talk about manifestations like dang um and so i think she she knows what that's like for people to just be a fan of the idea that you're gonna do it and to put it in the universe and maybe she's just a huge fan of her colleague and it's like let me just slide this in the universe for you and see what happens you know because it happened for me um so maybe it's a little bit of that um but also i mean she's not stupid i mean she she knows more than we do um so i think she might have gotten a little excited and so i i personally think for sure we're gonna see him but also it's a great casting on disney's part because after aladdin i want to see more of Mina Masoud. I think, and, and what they're doing with all of the Star Wars properties on Disney, I think they can go deep with this. I love her character in Mandalorian. I'm so excited to see it in her own show. And I think we can see a lot of range from him. And so I'm super excited and thinks that she's trying to spread the juju, spread the energy of like manifesting a fan casting. So, <laughs> Rob, what about you? I mean, uh, number one, do you believe these reports right now, even though, again, I'm going to say it 10 more times, this is not official, it has not been confirmed, it may not be true. I just happen to buy into it right now. Are you buying into it? And if so, what do you think about the casting? Well, I think the casting in both cases is pretty great. You know, I, I, I what, what I think is most important is that we will hopefully be getting these characters in live action. And what I think has really been interesting about what The Mandalorian, now Book of Boba Fett, the Ahsoka show, all of these things are doing is carrying forward all of the mythology that was built out in both the Clone Wars and Rebels. And I, I love the fact that it's tying all of these disparate, because really, I think we all believe, maybe this is just my prejudicial thinking, you know, animation isn't real. <laughs> it's not real. It's it ain't not? real. It, it ain't real till it's live action. And and I I I, I that how we we used to do this thing called Starship Smackdown at the San Diego Comic Con, and I was not allowed to enter animated ships, starships from like Robotech or something or Space Battleship Yamato because people said, you know, Rob, you can't enter these ships into this competition because they're not real. And I love the fact that they're bringing. Look, I've loved Grand Admiral Thrawn 
I, I, I loved Mads Mikkelsen in Rogue One. And the fact that his brother, you know, could could possibly be Thrawn in live action. Come on. That's pretty damn cool. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I am excited for this. I am excited to see Grand Admiral Thrawn. I'm most excited to be able to buy a hot toy of Grand Admiral Thrawn because Sideshow did make one a long time ago, but I'd much rather have hot toys do it. So I, it's, I can't wait, John. This is all what what is not. This is exciting, exciting stuff. I mean, if nothing else, after the 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 end of rise of skywalker i didn't think that star wars that i would have a fervor for it like i used to mm. but i kind of do now book of boba fett ahsoka mandalorian whatever else they're going to do the even the rogue squad the even Acolyte. the visions the, the visions, oh, the visions yeah. animated series i can't wait for that i mean i'm pretty stoked about the state of star wars right now guys the question is for you, and it's a two-part question. I really do want you guys to jump down to the comments and let me know your thoughts on this. Number one, do you believe that Mina Masoud and Lars Mikkelsen will be playing these roles? Because, again, it's not official, so there's that. But number two, how would you feel about Mina Masoud and Lars Mikkelsen playing these roles? I want to know what you guys think about this. Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down and out of the way, we're going to move on and start taking your live questions and comments. And once again, if you want to get a live comment or question read on the show or in an upcoming companion video, simply use the tip link down in the description of this video, or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Again, you'll be getting your comment or question read on the show if it's appropriate. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us here involved with the show, thank you guys. For that support. All right, guys, let's jump on over and start getting to your live comments and questions. This one comes to us from Anton Riley, who writes, I'm pretty sure you don't care about Pokemon, but it's just been announced that a Netflix series is in the works. As a huge Pokemon fan myself of both the games and the anime, I just hope the video game can uh, and anime curse don't come at all once for this series. Yeah, we actually talked about this on the John Campus show yesterday. And my basic feeling is this. Am I a Pokemon guy? No. But it's one of the most popular series uh, or, or uh, franchises and IPs in the world. And the movie, while it looks like it didn't do well enough to get a sequel, it still made over $400 million at the box office. To me, if you can figure out a cost-effective way, cost-effective, to do a live-action Pokemon thing, you do it. To me, it's a no-brainer. It's just a matter of whether they can keep the expenses down. All right, next up, Great Grabthar's Hammer writes, Hey, John, I feel really bummed after hearing you couldn't get further than installing. Ah, yes, that you couldn't get further than installing Final Fantasy 14, especially after I recommended it to you the other day. I was really looking forward to seeing you experience this great game and friendly community. Okay, so I don't know if you guys heard about this, but I've been looking for a brand new game to play. And a bunch of people have been recommending the new Final Fantasy 14 online. It's been updated hmm. and stuff like that. And a lot of World of Warcraft players, which I've played a lot of World of Warcraft in my life, have been moving over to it. So I finally, and somebody wrote in to say you should try it out. So I finally downloaded it the other day. And the damn thing wouldn't install. Like I downloaded it, you know, double-click the EXE. It gave me this Final Fantasy load icon on my desktop. And no matter what I would do, it just wouldn't do anything and it wouldn't do anything and it wouldn't do anything. So finally I did some searching around and I said, yeah, sometimes that happens. You got to go to use this file, change this line, then try executing it. So I finally executed it, loaded up the game, got about 
15 minutes into the opening cutscene stuff that they do, only to realize, and I don't know if any of the rest of you are like this, when I play a video game with a keyboard and mouse, I have to invert the mouse. I have to. Like my my brain just works like a like a, a, a the the stick a control stick on a jet plane. To go up, you pull back. To go down, you press forward. That's just how my mind works with a mouse. And every video game I have ever played, um, every video game I have ever played, there's always the option to click invert mouse. And I have not been able to find a way to invert the mouse on Final Fantasy fourteen, and it's driving me crazy. It's driving me crazy, and I have not found an answer to it. For though, if any of you guys at home have played Final Fantasy fourteen or you're familiar with it, and if you know a workaround for this that you can actually get the mouse to invert, please email me and let me know. Please, because uh, I can't do it. I just can't, every I, every game I play is that way, so I cannot wire my brain that way. So if you guys know, please do let me know. Do either of you guys invert the mouse, or do you just play it naturally when you guys play video games? I play naturally. I mean, I I don't like remapping the controller. Right. See, I always customize it. I always customize the controller. Uh, what about I got, you? I got nothing. For, I'm the one that sits next to my nephew and says, "What's happening on the Fortnite?" And he turns to me angrily and says, "It's not the Fortnite. Get away from me, you boomer." It's not. So the I got Fortnite. nothing for you. All right. Ray, <laughs> hey, thanks for that great grab, there, Hammer. I appreciate that. All right. Next up. Andy from Canada writes, Hey, John and Rob, I just watched the trailer for uh, Chapel Wait. I just watched that myself, starring Adrian Brody. It looks interesting and very creepy. What are your thoughts? Rob, I don't know if you had a chance to see this yet. No. So it's a it's a new series. Uh, Adrian Brody, Academy Award winning Adrian Brody, who I think he's fantastic. And it also stars, and I forget the actress's name, but the girl from Schitt's Creek, who plays David's best friend, the girl who works at the hotel. It's the first thing I've seen her starring in since Schitt's Creek, which is great to see. And she won the Emmy for Best Supporting Actress as well. Anyway, um, sorry, no, she did, but she got nominated one year for that. Anyway, um, I didn't think it was a very good trailer, to be honest with you. Uh, it did feel creepy, yes, but it also, I had no idea what was going on. I had I couldn't tell you for the life of me. Uh uh, a, a guy who loses his wife moves with his kids into a haunted house. But after that, I didn't understand a single bloody thing that was going on. Did you see the trailer, Kim, for this, for Chapel Wait? No, but the way you describe it, I really want to. Yeah, it sounds I, I, like, you know, that's a good premise, but what I, I love Adrian Brody, but I have not seen the trailer. No. Yeah, check it out and then let me know what you think about it once you do, because I to me, it just I, it didn't make much sense. Anyway, uh, the eighth writes. I absolutely cannot contain my excitement for the Suicide Squad. I want to see some nom-noms. I want to see some insanity that will hopefully, finally, overpower the past year or two of pure chaos. I haven't uh, been this impatient for a movie since Endgame. And yeah, with... God, listen, I'm telling you. Let me let me see if I can bring this up here again. It was at 98% earlier. Hold on a second. Suicide Squad... Um, Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, it was at 98% earlier. As of right now, it is currently sitting at, because there were 40 reviews earlier, it's gone up to 100%. How did it go up to 100%? Oh, oh, it went up to 100% because I guess the Entertainment Weekly um, 
one who was set set at like who was set to a negative review they switched they switched it to okay so they they didn't think it was great but they thought it was good enough and it's supposed to have been a positive so as of right now as we speak uh, on rotten tomatoes uh suicide squad is sitting with 46 reviews and is now at a hundred percent so it's just about 100%. And so somebody in a Ketchup on Eggs, well, which is the worst username ever in the world, asked they switched as that comment. <laughs> it does happen sometimes because, I listen, I haven't submitted a review to Rotten Tomatoes in probably a year. I should probably start submitting my reviews to Rotten Tomatoes. Anyway, because I am a Rotten Tomatoes certified critic, so I can, I can put mine on there. But what happens is there's a bunch of things you need to fill out when you're submitting your thing. Like, you got to submit your score, you got to submit the links to where things are, blah, blah. And you ju- you got to just basically put in, is this a, a thumbs up or thumbs down? And sometimes you forget to do it. Sometimes in the midst of all the other things, you click the wrong thing. I know that happened to me once. Once I actually, I, I personally clicked the wrong one. Then when I saw my review pop up in Rotten Tomatoes and it had the one, it had a tomato when I actually meant for it to be a, a bad score, I had to go back in and edit it so it would properly represent. So it does. I know it's happened to me, so I can only assume it's happened to other people too. So yes, as of right now, it's sitting at 100%. I'm sure it's not going to stay at 100%. Like there's going to be two to 300 reviews come in. And right now it's only sitting at 46. So I'm sure it'll come down from 100. But still, seeing it that high right now is, uh, that's pretty exciting. That's pretty damn cool. All right, uh, next up. That was the eighth. Uh, Anthony R. writes, finally watched the Dune trailer and I'm excited. I'm ashamed to say that I didn't see the original movie. <laughs> Don't feel bad about that, Anthony. Um, odd, because growing up under a sci-fi buff, my dad would have showed it to me no matter. I'm reading the first book, and then I'm watching both films. Rob, Anthony is uh, is ashamed to say that he hasn't watched the original Dune. I I, I mean, look, do, the original Dune movie is... Was it Patrick Stewart who played Gurney in that? I think it was him who played. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. It was Patrick Stewart playing Gurney in that. Who Josh Brolin is playing that character in the new one. It, it, look, it's it's it, it's an iconic. Uh, it's not great. You don't need. I don't know, Rob. Would you tell people? Would you recommend to people? I personally wouldn't. But would you recommend to people to go back and watch the original first Dune movie before seeing the new one? No. Um, I, I, Tell me how you really feel. No, I, I I mean, look, here. here's the thing. Dune is a deeply compromised vision. It was not the movie that uh, David Lynch hoped to make when he set out to make it. The visual effects at the time, even even they were were compromised. There's multiple versions of of the film. And I just feel that it didn't do. It's a very difficult book to adapt, first of all. And, and I it doesn't do it justice now one of the things that people forget dune came out in 1965 the novel and it was a huge book as far as science fiction novels went and the the anticipation leading up to the adaptation of it it came out uh, christmas of 1984 along with 2010 which also came out at the same time and it it just wasn't that great and i think it didn't do the the book justice but we now live in a world where we're post lord of the rings post uh, game of thrones and there's post many different extended fantasy and science fiction worlds that people now understand better than they did uh, than movie going audiences understood 
these things. So we're, we're, we're much more uh, understanding of like when you watch Dune, there's a lot of world building going on. Well, audiences now are conditioned to understand what they're seeing much, much easier than they were in 1984. And I think that the book's great. I would recommend reading the book to anyone. But I do think that this movie, this upcoming movie, is something that's going to be really special. And I think people are going to be blown away by it. And I think it's going to finally do. First of all, another thing people should understand is the movie that we're getting, the Dune movie, is only the first half, half of the yeah. first book. And the Dune movie that David Lynch made has the entire book crammed into it. So it doesn't, let's just say it's not fulfilling. Now, yep. there is a Dune miniseries. Yes. Uh, that's very theatrical, and then they follow it up with Children of Dune. That's a lot more satisfying. But since we've got this big budget extravaganza, why not just wait? I would suggest reading the book, of course, because I did think I read the script for this upcoming Dune, and it does a really great job translating the book. I think the book is a wonderful science fiction novel. It's an incredible vision. But I would wait, wait, wait till this movie comes out. I, I agree. Don't like why bother going back and watching those. The sci-fi miniseries, by the way, I actually enjoyed. I think it was I really, did too. it was William Hurt who played like Leto Atreides in that one. Right. Mm -hmm. I think William Hurt who did a good. It was it was a solid. I mean, I obviously lower budget, obviously lower budget, but it did a nice little. But I agree 100 percent. Don't bother going. But you got this new one coming out. Let that be your first taste of it. I know. Kim, did you ever watch like the original Dune movie or that that miniseries? I never watched the miniseries, saw the movie ages ago. I was like chuckling a little bit when you said that the character that Patrick Stewart is playing, Josh Brolin is playing. And I'm like, what a difference. Yeah. Um, I'm just excited for the, for the new one. Yeah. Yeah, me too. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up, we've got Chuck the Mystery who writes, hey, John. With Jungle Cruise in theaters and premiere this weekend, I have some prediction questions. Will premiere numbers be good enough that Disney releases them? I doubt it. Uh, and how much will the film make in theaters this weekend? Also, will Green Knight break even? Well, I can't answer the question about Green Knight. Rob, I don't know if you want to look up to see um, uh, what's the budget of it. I, I don't know what the budget of it was. because hmm. uh, It's gonna getting be great reviews, man. Huge reviews. Huge reviews. Uh, and we expect no less to because it. the early reviews that came out a year ago were actually really popular, were really good. So the question about whether or not it'll break even is all depends on what the budget is. Jungle Cruise. I like I watched Jungle Cruise the other day and I had a fairly decent time with it. Um, I, I thought it was going to be quite bad, like once Disney, you know, peddled it off to its premium access thing, but it's actually not all that bad. It's, there's actually moments of it that are pretty decent. It's hovering around a 60 something percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is right around where I would expect it to be. It's not great. Um, I wouldn't recommend shelling out 30 bucks to watch it at home. But if I was going to suggest you watch it, which I don't know if I would, I would say at least go and watch it on the big screen. But um, I listen, there's a reason Disney only came out and announced the premium download numbers for one of the four films they put out because only one was half decent. And that was the Marvel film. That was Black Widow. I don't I, I don't sense a ton of buzz for this movie amongst people. So I don't think Marvel will announce the numbers. I don't know that. I'm just taking a guess. I don't think they will announce the premium numbers. And as far as an opening weekend goes, you know, it's a, it's a movie you can take the family to. I'm going to guess 
35 to 40 million it'll make opening weekend of the boxes so roughly half of black mm. widow but pretty good pretty good so i don't know rob were you able to find the production cost no i haven't been i'm looking around and i haven't been able to find anything on the production budget See, as good movie. as the green knight looks it's just not a movie that's going to appeal to a lot of people um like i'm dying to see it i, I think yeah. dev patel is fabulous i love so, him oh i love him so i i'm looking forward to it but i don't think a lot of average movie fans you know even the trailers haven't done a lot to entice a lot of people so i don't know how it's going to go i don't know kim like what how how do you think jungle cruise is going to do and have you been where's what's your anticipation level been like for this i'm excited for it and honestly i think families um with where we are in terms of getting out of covid and the hope that we were like wishing 2020 would be um i think families are really looking for something to take all the kids too because if you think about it um as movies have been rolling out you know we're, we're halfway through the year there haven't been a whole lot of things where the family can take a trip to the theater i mean now you have the option of watching it at home and when you have little ones crying you're like screw that yeah i'm gonna watch it at home <laughs> but i think families want to get back to the theater and with disney being so hard to get into right now the little ones it's kind of the closest thing to going to disney um and especially with like you know, I was in L.A. last night and here in I, or in the O.C., you don't have to wear a mask. In L.A., you do. And just listening to the chatter of people being a little like, oh, this is all too familiar. So I feel like families are like, let's get out to the theater before they shut it down again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think it'll be I think it'll be huge for families. because You know, you, you can't take your little little ones to see Black Widow, you know. And I know what that's like. I've had, you know, my little guys and I, you know, so I know the excitement of being like a family film. Shut up and watch it like air conditioning. Yes. <laughs> air conditioning. Yes. So we'll see how that goes, man. We'll see how that goes. All right. Next up, we got uh, uh, Magrabius who writes one of two. Hey, John. I was so happy to hear the topic about Roman Polanski and the difficulty to disassociate the artist from their art. I am unable to watch Mel Gibson movies ever since his anti-Semitic comments. Uh, most recently, uh, one in June of 2020 incident with Winona Ryder. I miss those movies. I feel like an idiot. I can't wait for the day I get over this and watch Hacksaw Ridge. Love your show, listening for around six years and counting. But here's the thing. There's nothing for you to feel like an idiot about. Listen. All of us react to different things in different ways. And we don't choose how we feel about something. You don't choose how you feel about something. You choose how you act, but you don't choose how you feel about something. You know, and for some people, like they hear whether it's 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 a Mel Gibson thing. Listen, I I personally know people who still can't watch a Mel Gibson movie. And there's nothing if that's how it made you feel, and it just makes it difficult for you now to sit down and watch and enjoy it then that's how it is for you you don't choose that you don't pick that that is just how you have emotionally reacted to it and there's nothing wrong with that now look i love hacksaw ridge i think hacksaw ridge is one of the like one of the better oscar nominated films in a long time i think it's fantastic andrew garfield was brilliant in it uh vince vaughn was fantastic in it it's a great movie but if things that happened off camera affect your ability to enjoy something then it affects your ability to enjoy something and and yeah it might like for me i can't watch roman polanski stuff again roman polanski has made some of the best films ever but i 
can't bring myself to go back to watch the stuff again. I'm not saying other people need to feel the same way I do, but I just can't. So, no, there's nothing for you to feel dumb about or whatever. If that's how you reacted to it, that's how you reacted to it, brother. All right, next up, Caleb writes, For Rob and all others who love to hate Manifest, here we go, Rob, who love to hate Manifest, don't fear. (laughs) NBC has a new show out this fall called La Brea. It's about a sinkhole that opens up under the La Brea tar pits and teleports people into a prehistoric world. Sounds ready to take Manifest's crown. There you go, Rob. Your new your new hate watch show is out there. By the way, have you heard that the, they're saying Manifest may still not completely be dead. They're saying there's still people are still working behind the scenes to try to get it picked up on Netflix. So I don't know if that'll happen or not. I... This manifest show, what was that one with Stephen Lang? I keep forgetting of it. The the one with Stephen Lang where people travel back to prehistoric era because the modern Oh yeah. The they, Land Before Time? No, it's not no, the Land no, Before it was a live Time. Eye. It, see, it was Steven Spielberg produced it. Yeah, I can't remember. Terra Nova, Marcus Terranova. Y is the first guy in the live chat. Marcus Y, Ben Rayner, Jam also say Terra Nova's that it sounds a little like Terra Nova. I don't know. Rob, how heartbroken are you right now about Manifest? And, and are you going to check out La Brea? First of all, I saw the trailer for La Brea. I did not see it myself. I'm so in. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, okay. Here, here, here's the thing. Here's oh, my gosh, thing. Rob. I mean, I mean, with, with Manifest, is uh, I've, I've called this show that it, it has an impossible premise. They, it, it sounds great in a pitch, but you can never – reveal because you don't know and nothing it will never be revealed to the point where it'll make sense to anyone like lost lost just i mean lost the greatest audience betrayal in in television history and i loved lost i loved it and i'm like oh they really had no clue and no plan they don't know anything that's going on in this show they just kept piling on the questions manifest is a little different than that but i god bless it I love Manifest for being what it is. I accept it for all of its faults. And I watch it just to see how ridiculous it's going to become. And the fact that it might come back, that what happened was they moved Manifest to Netflix, and it's been doing huge. It's gotten huge audience numbers on Netflix. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe we'll give it like like Designated Survivor, which was another show I like. Netflix picked it up and gave it one more season. So please, please, Netflix. Please make it happen. But I think, you know, La Brea is the same kind of a show there. Uh, if you look at the trailer, they show this giant sinkhole. Like, it's clearly utterly absurd. And somebody comes up with this idea. It doesn't matter how it happened. It doesn't matter. It's just like, oh, we're going to get these people into the strange prehistoric world. That's all they need to know. But we as audience members are like, come on. We've become very savvy with our science fiction, fantasy and horror you need to make us believe. But on network shows, they don't have to do that anymore. And like NBC is like the one channel, whether it's the event, whether it's manifest, mm. they love yeah. these shows. I don't know who's at NBC. They're like, wow, that sounds really good. Nobody was it cares NBC about that solving also just it. Did debris. Was it NBC that yes. did debris? I think it was. Yeah, they're trying these yes. things. Yeah. And even that show makes no sense. I mean, it vaguely has some notion. And by the way, I watched all of Debris because I love shows like this. And it just, it disappointed me because at the end of the day, it becomes too silly and absurd. And it, it strains credulity to the point that it breaks. And I, how come you do this show runners? I know you got to get paid, but how do you, you keep doing this to me? Kim, did you, did you watch manifest at all? Have you seen the trailer for 
the La Brea. I don't know. What are your thoughts on all this? Yes, I love watching Rob get upset I call them yell and tell shows where I don't, I, I do the same thing. I don't exactly like it. I will sit there with my ice cream and yell at the screen. Then I'll go tell someone, girl, do you know they have the nerve to have a smoke monster that just comes and goes and disappears? And then his brother, like I'll yell at the screen and go tell someone about it, but I don't actually fully enjoy it. But I'm watching it, and that's what matters. Cha-ching to the network. So uh, this right. seems like a this seems like a yell and tell to me. Like, girl, I, there's, a that's fence, my... there's a fence right by the pit that says, "Don't walk into the La Brea tar pit." And she just gone ahead and did it. Like, this is a yell and tell. I can already tell. I'm gonna. That's get my, my new favorite term. Enjoy yell it. and tell. Emily, it's, it's yell my and new tell. favorite term. The yell and tell because, like, yeah. And then the smoke monster just becomes John Locke. Because yeah. why? Yeah. Because why? You know, here, but just because, like, hey, we've traveled through time to the 1970s. Isn't that amazing? And none of the characters talk about this stuff. Like, there should have been one episode of Lost where they're like, wow, this is amazing. I wonder how we got. They just accept it. Nuclear weapons are going off. We're in the right, 70s. Right. There's a smoke we actually, monster. We have to move on. We've got like a I ton know, more know, questions. Got to go. By the way, I just want to uh, shout out to Peter Pacheco and Josea XCI, who both send in super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you guys for supporting. I'm gonna us start too. yelling and telling that. all these shows now. Yell and tell. Can't wait. I like it. Okay, next up. We've got uh, Brian Solis who writes, Saturday I was at a party, seven shots of Jameson Deep, talking to a fine young yeah. thing, when suddenly I went, shit, I never sent in my Vin Diesel question, and I ran off to find my phone, <laughs> no matter how long I was gone, but I never saw her again, but you know, priorities. <sighs> All right, Brian, it's good to see that you got your head on straight, brother, even seven shots of Jameson Deep. Good on you, man, for how and teaching the rest of the world. Proper priorities. All right, next up, Brian also writes, or Brian also writes, uh, when I'm the highest paid actor and I have my own production company, my first film will be a sequel to Commando. Old man John Matrix has been captured by Russians or whatever, and a grown-up Alyssa Milano has has to fuck shit up. Milano is Gen Matrix rated R. Uh, by the way, uh, our friend S. Beam sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, S. Beam. Uh, yeah, listen, I, in all honesty, Rob, I don't know if you remember this. There was talk uh, a number of years ago. There was very real talk about doing a number, another commando with Alyssa Milano taking on kind of the lead position and Arnold was going to be in it. Um, there was some very real discussion going on about it, but it never did happen. But I will tell you right now, sign me up. Remember when I told you I'd kill you last? I lied. I, lied. <laughs> I mean... I'll go see that. I don't know, Rob, what do you think? Would you be down for another commando with uh, Alyssa Milano kind of in the lead? I had a commando one sheet in my bedroom for the longest time. <laughs> and it says on the poster, somehow, somewhere, someone's going to pay. And I'm just like, that was kind of my philosophy of life as a young man. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, it was just a photograph of Schwarzenegger in his camo paint and with his, with his grenades and everything. And, I mean, Mark Lester directed that movie. That movie is utterly, ridiculously awesome. And, uh, you know, if they bring it back in any way, shape, or form, I would be so there for it. So there for it. But it's, you know, it's it's not, it's no uh, diehard, John. By the way, before uh, I ask him about her opinion of this, I just want to point out Precious Egahalo writes in the uh, live chat, says, Kimberly's camera quality is unreal. Um, I, I just want to point out, we just got Kimberly a brand new camera. <laughs> 
We just got her a brand new camera today, and uh, it's actually not as expensive as you might think. I'll, I'll share what camera it is a little bit later, but yeah, we did get Kimberly a new camera, and it looks great. Yeah, where am I? Iconic uh, Reactions sends in a super chat badge in the live chat as well. Thank you, Iconic Reactions. Anyway, Kimberly, did you ever watch the original Commando, and would you be down for seeing uh, Alyssa Milano kind of taking up the gun to save her dad? Oh, no, we lost your audio. Oh, we can read your lips, though. We can read your lips. We see, we we talk about, we just talked about her. Oh, oh, something went wrong. She's figured it out. As soon as we talk about how good the camera is, the mic got jealous and said, fuck you guys. And the mic checked out. So here we go. Anyway. Um, no, we're still not hearing you. No, we're still not hearing you. Uh-oh. Well, can you hear me now? Oh, me yes. there she is. Now she's back. Okay. Huzzah. So what? Uh, oh, you just said, you know what? Ann and I were starting. We're getting caught up on season one of uh, Mythic Quest last night. Oh. And we got to the finale. And when everybody's yelling, huzzah. And Ann and I both looked at each other. We're like, I so badly in my life want to be in a real life situation where we can legitimately say Huzzah. Anyway, so anyway, your thoughts on, on Commando. Would you want to see another one with Alyssa Milano kind of taking the lead? Um, I say huzzah all the time and people look at me like I'm nuts. Um, I would love that. And immediately in my head, I thought about like a mix between the ridiculous action of like Expendables mixed with the seriousness of like a Zero Dark Thirty kind of Ooh. role for her. Wow. And I was like, that is where my mind goes and I'm here for it. And I love Alyssa Milano. I, I want them to make it. Now you got me excited. I want them to do it. Let's do it. All right. Let's move on. Next up, we've got A.V. Callie who writes, Hi, John. I think we will see our first teaser slash trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home on Thanksgiving Day. I'm, I'm Canadian. I don't know when Thanksgiving Day here is. Um, it would be exactly one month out, and Eternals would have already been out for a couple of weeks. What do you think? Well... Uh, and by the way, Gabriel uh, Venegas sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Gabriel. Um, I'll say this. Now, John Wick, the first John Wick movie, and we bring this one up a lot, did not drop its first trailer until one month before the movie came out. That's when they dropped their first trailer. And we have seen, we've talked about this a lot on the show late recently, that we've been seeing um, these studios shrinking the window between when their first trailer comes out and when the actual movie comes out. Cause before it used to be like over a year, but it's been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Cause they've been realizing, Oh yeah, putting out a trailer nine months in advance is totally useless. And that, that doesn't actually do anything for our movies. So, you know, a lot of people ask when's the damn Spider-Man trailer coming. And we're all like, why would there be a Spider-Man trailer now? Relax. We're only inside that five-month window now, so it'll come soon. Do I think they'd actually wait till just one month out for a movie like Spider-Man? No way, guys. No way. I, I, I mean, this Spider-Man is going to be a movie that they build a real campaign, that they build a lot of momentum for, and I'm thinking probably... Maybe at the four-month window or something like that, they'll put it... I mean, again, it could come out any minute now, but I... While I'm all for a movie not dropping their first trailer till one month out, if they think that's going to be effective for their movie, for a movie like Spider-Man, they're going to build a bigger campaign. So I don't know, Rob, like, do you think there's any possibility that 
that AV could be right and they could actually wait until like one month before the movie comes out that they drop the first trailer? Maybe not. Maybe not one month, but I, I do think that they're holding off because, I mean, even Sony has the Venom film coming out before yeah, Spider-Man. Course, yeah. And and I I do think that <laughs> Spider-Man doesn't need any help at the box office. We all are going to go see Spider-Man. We're all excited about it. And if it does contain all of the wonders that we think it's going to contain, uh, they could drop a trailer a week before it opens and it would cause uh, the Internet to blow up and everybody would go. I think that you've got, you know, you and I, I, I always forget about Carnage, but Marvel's got Shang-Chi, it's got Eternals, and you have Venom versus Carnage. So there's three huge Marvel properties. I mean, even though one of them is a Sony property before Spider-Man comes out. And I think that the talk, they don't want the Spider-Man talk to dominate the conversation, you know? And there, I would imagine that they might start, I, when does when does Car- does Carnage come out in October? I mean, a Maximum Carnage, the Venom movie. I can't remember. I'll look that up. I wouldn't be surprised if if that's when you're going to see the Spider Man campaign ramp up. I mean, I'm like yeah, you said, September twenty fourth. Okay, that's when Spider Man's going to ramp up. You've got September to October, October to November, and November to December. That's three months, and that's when they're going to do it. They're gonna they're gonna and and look. They might drop it, drop something soon, tomorrow. I don't know. But it seems that for their own movie, they would want to tie it all in. You know, come see an exclusive, the first show of Venom. You know, go. That's when I think they're going to do it because it's it's Sony's movie. You know, uh, Angel brings up something in the live chat that I've heard from a lot of people. And Angel's just saying in the live chat right now, they should have dropped a Spider-Man trailer by now. But my question is, for what purpose? What, what, what? What would that have accomplished? Because the thing is, with these big early trailers, we talk about this, you drop a trailer and everybody gets excited for a minute and then it disappears. It's gone. Like, what's the point? Like, what would it ultimately at the end of the day, what would have dropping a Spider-Man trailer a month and a half ago? What would that have done for Spider-Man? Not anything, nothing. And so that's why I kind of like the idea that they're kind of shrinking it up more. Now, I, I don't know if they'll wait for Venom 2, Rob, but what you say does make perfect sense. I don't know if they'll actually hold off that long, but that's actually yeah. not a bad that's not a bad theory on that. I'm, yeah, I mean, like, here's the thing. Three months out, it, it, it's like Marvel has, they're launching two huge movies that no one's ever heard of with characters no one's ever heard of. Right. You know, like Venom, like... Uh, I mean, not Venom. Um, the Eternals and, and Shang-Chi are unknown characters. Do you think that Marvel doesn't want the conversation to be focused on them? Right. You know, Marvel wants the conversation to be focused on those characters and not on, well, these don't look as good as a new Spider-Man movie. Because if they have Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and Jamie Foxx and Alfred Molina, no one's going to talk about anything else. They're like, enough of these movies. Get a Spider-Man. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, listen, guys, we have uh, taken uh, we've taken Rob and Kimberly to their eleven thirty limit here. So, guys, thank you both so much for being here and joining us for the show today. Kimberly, you up first. Uh, thanks for being here and joining us. Where can people follow you and all your adventures online? 
Oh, your mic went out again. All right. Well, you can take it from me when I tell you that you can follow Kimberly Curran at What's Good Kimberly. You can see it on her lower third right there. Go and follow her up. I think on top of getting you a camera, we're now also going to have to get you a better microphone set up. So we'll get that all done for you there. So Kimberly, thank you so much for being here. It's been good having you. And of course, the one and the only, the great Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, whose microphone is probably still working. Where can people follow you and all your good stuff online? Well, you can file f- file next to me. You can follow me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Follow me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Or come on over to my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, uh, Rob, Kimberly, thank you both so much for being here. And we will talk to both of you guys again soon. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Kimberly Curran and Robert Meyer Burnett. Go and make sure you guys are following them on social media as well okay guys listen we still have some time i'm gonna take these headphones off because i find them terrible you know what i have these jbls are as comfortable as any over-the-ear headphone i've ever owned um i but i still my ears get warm i don't that makes it uncomfortable i i see if i gotta see if i can find another headphone things but these jbls are amongst the best i've ever had but but it's just that i'm sitting here for like two hours with them on that's not good for me anyway let's move on here uh what's next here we've got russell amador who writes hey john this weekend is stacked in terms of movie releases i'm not sure i can get around to all but the green knight jungle cruise nine days and stillwater i'm actually really fascinated about stillwater and no one's talking about it at all anyway uh green knight is top priority of mine are you going to catch all or which will you see yeah i'm definitely going to watch all of them like green knight is something i've been waiting for over a year to watch stillwater was not one that was really on my radar until the recent trailers dropped and then i'm like oh okay yeah yeah now i want to see this so and uh you know jungle cruise is jungle cruise yeah so we'll see but yeah it's a really good weekend if you're looking forward to watching some good movies all right uh, next up, Ryan Loner writes, one of two. I just rewatched the first Spider-Man and I totally forgotten the part where Peter's idea of a killer battle quip is basically, yeah, well, you're gay. Now, as somebody who was in high school at the time, I'm not going to act like this wasn't exactly how we talked back then, but boy, it was jarring to hear a superhero say it, kind of like that early Fantastic Four where Reed tells Sue's, <laughs> Reed tells Sue, Sue uh, women should be seen and not heard. I don't actually remember that line, but... Yeah, you know, here's the thing. It's as we move forward as a society and as a culture and we learn and we grow and we evolve. This is true of all of us as individuals. We all look back at ways we individually behaved and might have done and how we might have may have acted. And we look back now and kind of like, oh, my God, did I really used to act like that and whatever? Because we grow and evolve as individuals. The same thing happens to us as a society, because you're right. When I was in high school and stuff like that, it's just totally how we talked all the time. It's totally how we talked. So I don't really hold it against you know, you're right, though. If I went back and watched the first Spider-Man right now and I heard that line, it probably would come across as very jarring. But I'm not going to judge the movie now in hindsight, because at the time, that is how everybody talked. So I'm not going to judge it now based on modern uh, things. Now, if they made a new movie today and did that, that would be a little bit different. But it is crazy sometimes when, when we look back at stuff like that. All right. Next up, uh, Chuck, the mystery writes. 
Hey, John, and maybe Rob, just Miss Rob. Uh, there was a trend in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s that we don't see often anymore. Movie soundtracks with big pop hits on them. We still see those from time to time. We still see those. Um, now, with rare exceptions, we mainly just get score soundtracks. Why do you think this changed? Thanks. Well, I think one of the main reasons it changed is the reason why a little inside scoop here and maybe i shouldn't be sharing this but like um you know let me backtrack a little bit i have a friend of mine uh who recently made a movie and they had to remove a couple of songs from it because it was just too fucking expensive you guys would not believe how much it costs just to put a song in a movie it's astronomical it's absolutely astronomical and usually i prefer good score to a song to a to a classic well-known song like an original song is different i usually prefer a score but sometimes you know it, top gun how could you not have you've lost that love and feeling in that time. Like, how can you even imagine Top Gun without that scene? So sometimes it's really, really important. But I would honestly, my guess is that the big thing is it's just so effing expensive for even just one song. It's crazy expensive. Anyway, uh, next up. We've got Case, uh, Casey McNatt who writes, John, I just saw the new A24 film called Lamb, and I am so confused, but I'm not going to deny that another A24 film has got my attention. Now, I'm going to guess you mean you just saw the new trailer for A24. I'm going to guess you haven't seen Lamb. Yeah, I watched that trailer. I was like, listen, A24, absolutely, fundamentally fantastic, wonderful, great movies. But the, the thing about their movies are, is that they quite often like look very mm, weird, right? Like their marketing has always like looked, I don't know how else to put it other than to say that it's always looked like very weird stuff. Like you go back to like the ghost story and things like that. And like the movies are often really, really like difficult to promote and lamb because I, I forget the actress's name from uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, like the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, Academy Award winner, and I'm forgetting her name right now. But she stars in it. And this is just a weird-looking trailer. And the movie might be brilliant, but yeah, man, it looks really freaking odd. Numi Rap Rapace, thank you. Chris J uh, Chris J827 in the live chat. Numi Rapace, thank you so much. So... It stars in OCM. Rick also writes that in or wrote in the name as well. I mean, I can't, I have no idea what the F is going on in this trailer. Like none. They, the lamb, they're kind of raising it like their own kid, but it seems like there's a horror element to it. And I have no idea what's going on. So the movie may be brilliant, but I was kind of personally kind of turned off by it because I have no idea what it is I'm looking at. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, hold on a second. I lost my screen here. Let me bring it back up here. There we go. Next up. We've got Tron who writes, whose career is in more trouble? And do you think either of them can make a comeback? Army Hammer or Johnny Depp? Uh, damn shame we'll never get that Lone Ranger sequel now. Yeah, I, I don't think a Lone Ranger sequel was ever on the table. I'll be honest with you. But um, I think, look, I think if either of these two have a legitimate chance of making a comeback, 
it's probably Johnny Depp. Um, the accusations and the things that are surrounding Army Hammer. Look, I'm not going to say the things that's surrounding Johnny Depp. That, by the way, a court of law said that the evidence proves, at least to the court, that the accusations against Johnny Depp were true. Like a court that heard weeks and weeks of testimony and, and reviewed evidence and all that kind of stuff. They determined and said that the accusations against Johnny Depp are materially true. That's hard to come back from. And I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm not trying to downplay or minimize the seriousness of the accusations against Johnny Depp and what he's accused of doing and being not cool at all. But that being said, the accusations tend to seem to be around incidents that were isolated and the stuff surrounding army hammer. And I don't want to get into all the TMZ bullshit, but the stuff surrounding, um, army hammer tend to be more serious. And, I, so I, again, I would say that if you had to pick one to put money on that might be able to make a comeback, I would say that person is probably Depp. My guess, my guess would be Depp. Now, whether or not either of them will or won't, maybe both of them will, I don't know. But if I had to bet $5 on one of them has a better chance at a comeback than the other, I would say as a result of the nature of, of their individual controversies, I would say that the one with the better chance of a comeback is probably, um, um, is probably Johnny Depp. That's my guess. All right. Next up we've got, uh, the, the Zah writes the fighting and friction at Disney between Iger and Bob Chapek is certainly an eye opener. Whilst Chapek is CEO, isn't Bob Iger not only chief, crea uh, chief creative officer, but also the executive chairman? He's the chairman of the board right now. Yes. Couldn't he overrule any of Chapek's actions or remove him? All right. There are two things to keep in mind. Right now, Bob Iger is what we would call a lame duck CEO. And by that, we mean everybody knows he's in his last days. He's still the chairman of the board, but he is departing soon. He didn't just leave his role as CEO. He is also going to be stepping away from his role as chairman of the board. So everybody knows right now that he is what is called a lame duck CEO. It's like what happens with a coach in professional sports. Everybody knows when the coach is on the last year of his contract, the players don't listen to him as much and all that kind of stuff because he is what's called a lame duck coach. So the reality is, you know, Bob Iger probably does not see it as his place to do anything like that. It's not his place to do that right now. He is the outgoing chairman and he's probably going to allow the new chairman of the board you know, all that kind of stuff. They will make those sorts of decisions and stuff like that. So uh, that's kind of the thing right uh, right now. All right, next up, we go to Smokey McPot who writes, John, I've seen a rumor that Netflix is developing a Dragon Age series based on the amazing Bioware games, which are some of my favorite. And I've always thought a live action series would have similar scope to Lord of the Rings. Never, no, it wouldn't. Uh, similar scope to Lord of the Rings. Have you heard anything? I have not. Uh, I am a fan of the of the of the game. I know I haven't played the whole series. I played the one that everybody did. Like, what was that one called? Um, 
Dragon Age. It's the was the most popular one. I think it was the most recent one. I played that one at any rate. Um, so I have not heard anything, but I wouldn't be surprised at all because all this Inquisition. Thank you, Albert. Inquisition. I played Inquisition. Um, I haven't heard anything, but I wouldn't be surprised because all the studios are looking for potential franchise IP right now. They're all looking at it. And there's a renewed interest in video game properties as well. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. I have not heard anything about that. To the best of my knowledge, it's not true. But I wouldn't be surprised in the least if they did that. I think there's a very high potential for that. All right, next up. Raymond Verrata writes, My thoughts on the new Exorcist trilogy. Like Jurassic Park and Army of the Dead, uh, people never learn. Uh, dinosaurs, bad. Zombies, bad. Child with 666 on the crown of his head? I'll give you one guess. Bad. People love scaring themselves, then laughing afterwards. Yeah, and of course, we talked about the Exorcist situation the other day because, you know, they just announced that Universal has paid $400 million for the rights to do a new trilogy starring the original actress, Ellen Bernstein, that she's going to start at $400 million. Was that a good financial investment? We'll find out. Uh, but uh, it seems like a lot of money to me for that franchise. Anyway, uh, Funky Buddha writes, Hey, John, longtime viewer from Toronto. I used to live in Toronto. Thanks for writing in, man. I was hesitant to watch Snake Eyes after a review, but I had to see for myself how bad it was, and boy, it was bad. Why is Hollywood still doing shaky cam action when there's so many talented action choreographers? Listen, the only thing I can guess of, my best guess about that is simply this. The reality is we have seen less and less shaky cam in action sequences over the last number of years. It's been something that, thankfully has seemed to have been going away. It still pops up now and again, but it's not used nearly as frequently as it used to be a number of years ago. It has been getting less and less used. Thank God. Why Snake Eyes suddenly thought, yeah, people, you know what? People love ninjas. You know what they love more than ninjas? Not being able to see what they're doing. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't actually want to see what the ninjas are doing. They just want to know that ninjas are there. Are you high on something? Like, have you been taking illicit drugs? No, man, just keep shaking the camera so people can't see what's going on. I have no idea what the F they were thinking. No idea what the F they were thinking. Morons. Absolute morons. You're going to have hordes of ninjas fighting with swords? And you're going to do rapid cut editing and shaking the camera? and woo, woo. It's like, I, I can hear some swords clashing. I guess something exciting is going on that we can't see. It's just fucking idiots. I cannot believe they did that. Anyway, mischievous gremlin writes one of two. Hey, John and Rob, if he's there, just missed him. I just wanted to put this little tidbit out there for the weekend. Uh, there's a movie that will be getting released on shutter uh, this weekend. It's called the boy behind the door. Um, and it's getting some pretty good buzz behind uh, behind it. I think right now it's at 97% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'll, I just thought I'd put that to everybody who's looking for something to watch. Have you heard or seen the trailer of this movie and what are your thoughts? I have never heard of this. I, I don't particularly subscribe. I don't personally subscribe to Shudder. So it's called The Boy Behind the Door. I'll tell you what. Let me take a look to see if I can find this. Um, 
boy behind the door rotten tomato i'm gonna guess there's probably like 10 reviews on rotten tomatoes but let's see here the boy behind the door it's a 2020 film and hey no look at this it's got i mean not a massive amount of reviews but it's got a 42 reviews sitting at 98 percent that's which is awesome uh, a tense, terrifying, and all-round outstanding feature debut for its co-directing duo, The Boy Behind the Door, should thrill discerning horror fans. All right. That sounds pretty cool. It's a good... I like the poster. That's actually a pretty slick-looking look, poster. I like that. I will have to check that out. All right. Thanks for putting that on our radar, man. Appreciate that. Okay, next up. Uh, Jesse writes... Round of applause for Scott Mance, Dennis Zen, and Greg Alba. It's been so great seeing more guests on the show lately. It really changes up the pace. And uh, I'll say Greg's episode the other week was one of my favorite shows you've done in a bit. Great work. Yeah, it's it's been great. We've been, listen, I got uh, a um, a lot of requests from you guys lately to do a few more shows with three people instead of two. Now, I don't want to go back to a full panel kind of show. I just don't. Because, you know, back in the day at AMC, we would have four, sometimes five people on the panel. And honestly, I just feel like, especially for, like, I personally think two is a good number. Two and three is, is okay. I've said that before. But, like, once you get into four or five people on a thing, it's, it's, it's too much. It's too much. Each individual has too limited time to actually talk. Um, I, I just feel like it's too much. So I've kind of erred on the side of caution and really kept it to about two. Sometimes I do the show by myself. But, you know, three is an okay number. And, and I've had a lot of you guys asking for, for me to do a few more episodes where it's three people. And I got to admit, it's been fun. Yeah, the episode with Dennis, great. The, having Scott on is great. Having Greg on is great. Um, and now having Kimberly Kern on is great. And you know what? I think maybe three and two is going to become our sweet spot. It's going to become our sweet spot. Now, what I what I haven't wanted to do is like recreate the old AMC or Collider Day. So what you're not going to see me do is going out and getting a bunch of people who I used to do stuff with before. No disrespect to any of them or how great some of them are. Not at all. It's just that I do still want to keep a real big distinction between what and who I am now versus the stuff I used to do before and who I used to do it with. Now, some may they say, well, what about Dennis? Well, I I've known and I've worked with Dennis years before AMC ever started. Like years before I was ever at AMC, Dennis and I had been have been working together for Gosh, I want to say, hell, I want to say close to 13 years, 13 years, Dennis and I have been working together. Dennis and I have been working together ever since my movie blog days. So Dennis doesn't really count uh, about that. Uh, it, it's uh, it, Dennis doesn't count because again, he and I've been working for ages and ages and ages, but yeah, like when you look at what, you know, Christian and I tried doing we were going to do a Star Wars thing together. We were doing Sith. Uh, what do we call it? We called it uh, Light Side, Dark Side. Christian and I were going to try to do something together. And he and I were both excited about doing something together again. But the reality was between his schedule and my schedule and whatever, it just didn't really click. And so Christian's doing some great stuff, uh, doing what he's doing and everything. So I will try to incorporate. So I've talked to Scott. Scott's going to come on more regularly. 
Uh, Greg is going to pop in once in a while. And I think I'm going to limit it to that. You know, I've got Aaron, uh, who's obviously a regular, Kimberly, who's a regular, Rob, who's a regular. And I think if we can dash in a little bit of Dennis and dash in a little bit of Greg and dash in a little bit of Scott, I think it'll be good. And I'll, I'll keep my eyes open for other people who might be good. I'll keep my eyes open for that, but you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, yeah, those are all great people. And I'm glad you guys have been enjoying them uh, being on here. All right, next up, uh, we've got, where are we? We are at, oh, that we've already did mischievous. Uh, Tenzir writes, to everyone, if you haven't seen it, please watch Nick Cage's Pig. I am dying to watch this movie. Uh, that movie is fantastic. Easily my favorite movie of the year. Uh, John, if you've seen it, which I have not, but I am dying to watch it. Uh, what are your thoughts? Thank you for all the time and energy you use for us movie fans. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, I'm not even 100% sure where I would watch it. Like, um, let me see if I can look. I'm not even hundred percent. Like, is it in theaters? Is it on? No, it's in theaters. The closest theater. Eh, it's not in one close to me. The one that's closest to me is about 20 miles away. It's at an AMC dine-in in a, in a theater t- about 20 miles away. I'm going to have to go see it. It is currently holding an 83% metacritic rating it's holding a 97 percent rotten tomato rating this is one i've absolutely got to see and i have been dying to see it and every time ann and i are thinking about doing something i always forget about it so i got to get out and see this damn thing so thank you for keeping that on my radar tenzir all right next up we go over to miles who writes hey john i much like you uh, hate the DC animated films, but I'm hearing the long Halloween one and two is not only a great Batman film, but the best Batman film ever, which is ballsy, honestly, and even has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Does this do anything for you? Thanks. Nope. Doesn't do anything for me because I heard a whole bunch of praise about what was that one of apocalypse war justice league apocalypse war. Everybody told me, John, you're going to love justice league apocalypse war. I'm like, all right. So I sat down and watched it. And I'm like, huh? Well, that was a big bag of shit. Um, now the one thing that I'll say that the long Halloween has going for it is that it is a direct adaptation, much like the dark Knight returns was and the dark Knight returns was pretty damn good. It was a direct adaptation of the graphic novel and, you know, they broke it into two parts. They did dark Knight returns part one and part two. And it was pretty much a direct translation, which they don't often do. And that was awesome. That was really good. That was one of those exceptions of the the Marvel or DC animated things that I actually thought were good. Uh, Let me qualify that. Direct to home video animation. Like Mask of the Phantasm, that doesn't count because that was a theatrical film. But Marvel and DC's direct to home video animation, usually giant bags of shit. But there are a few exceptions. And that Dark Knight Returns was one of them. And from what I hear, The Long Halloween is much like that. It's a direct translation of the graphic novel. Unlike The Killing Joke, which was just dreadful, or whatever the name of it was, where Batman bangs Batgirl on a rooftop. Anyway, that was terrible. But... I, I might have to check out Long Halloween because, again, if it, if it is like The Dark Knight Returns, it may very well be the next exception to that rule. So I might have to check it out. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Miles. Next up, Casey McNatt writes, 
Uh, hey, John, keep in mind that Spider-Man Far From Home, I, I, you know what? I thought about that. I know exactly where you're going with this, and I thought about this after the show was done, and I went back and looked it up myself. And I, if I, if you're about to make the point that I think you are, you're absolutely right. And I did go and look this up myself after the show was done. Anyway, uh, hey, John, keep in mind that for Spider-Man Far From Home did open on a Tuesday during the 4th of July weekend. We're homecoming. So it still made $185 million during that long holiday weekend, even though the official opening weekend was at $93 million. So what Casey McNatt is talking about here is yesterday on the John Campia show, uh, we did, um, we broke down all the films that we thought had a chance at making a hundred million opening weekend for the rest of 2021 and what percentage chance we would give them. Now, when we talked about Spider-Man no way home, one of the numbers that I threw out there, which is a true number was that, well, the last Spider-Man film didn't make a hundred million opening weekend. It made 92 or 93 million opening weekend. And that's true. However, because this bothered me after I was like, what? I thought I remembered it doing better than that. And I went back and I checked it myself after the show was done. And you're right. That was a show. That was a movie that did not open on a Friday like they normally do. It opened earlier in the week. Now, you don't count the numbers. Like when a movie opens on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, you don't count those numbers in opening weekend numbers. You only count the actual weekend. So the official Opening weekend was 92 or $93 million. But the reality is that a whole ass load of people saw it even before the opening weekend happened. So what would the opening weekend have actually been if it opened on a Friday night, like, or a Friday or a late Thursday night, as most movies do now, it easily would have exceeded a hundred million. It easily would have exceeded a hundred million. It probably would have had an opening weekend of somewhere in the neighborhood of 120, 130, 140 is where it probably would have been. So, yes, you are 100% right about that. That was bothering me, too, after the show was done because I read that number as we were doing the show. And I had to go back and double check it. So you're absolutely right about that. And I did double check it myself. Thanks for putting that in there. All right. Last question that we have time for today comes to us from Matthew. And Matthew writes, hey, John, since you haven't talked about Zack Snyder in any new or any news on him in quite a while, because there hasn't been any news, uh, I was wondering what your thoughts are on him signing with Netflix. Well, we talked about that ages ago. His new project, Rebel Moon, and the Army of the Dead getting 75 million views in its first four weeks. Well, the 75 million views um, in the first four weeks is a little, it's still a little weird. And we've talked about this a number of times about a number of Netflix projects. In 2019, ne let me see if I can bring this up here. Um, hold a second. Uh, 75 million views. Because I was reading this on The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, let me, let me bring this up here in a second. So around 2019, Netflix change their definition of a view. I think it used to be somebody had to watch half of the program for it to be considered a view, right? I think that used to be their terminology that if somebody watched at least half of something that was considered a view in 2019, they changed it 
to somebody just has to watch two minutes of something. So if somebody watched two minutes and 30 seconds of something and thought this is crap and then went away, it didn't matter. It still counted as a view. And there was a lot of discussion about that when Netflix made that move. At any rate, Army of the Dead, which I know it's a movie Rob hates. Um, I kind of liked it. I mean, it it was bad in some ways, but overall, if you guys saw my right out of the movie theater, because uh, I went to go see Army of the Dead in theaters instead of on Netflix, um, I had a good time. I personally had a good time with it. It was, there's a lot of problems with it, yes, but overall, I had fun, and uh, I, I gave it a recommendation. Army of the Dead is in, let me just bring this up here. Um, it is in the top 10. Here's, here's what it says over here on, on, uh, on uh, The Hollywood Reporter. It says, the raw viewing total for Army of the Dead ranks among the top 10 Netflix titles since 2019. So it's in the top 10 of Netflix titles since the company switched to its two-minute view standard in late 2019. The streamer reported uh, 209.18 million global subscribers for the quarter, meaning that about 36% of users across the world checked out the Army of the Dead. Um, uh, The 75 million views is slightly more than the company's initial projection of 72 million. So look, whatever way you slice it, um, that's a good result. Like two minute viewers or not in the top 10 since 2019 or not, that's a good result. I mean, you could, you could try to paint it in some other way. You can try to put a negative spin on it if you want, because there are negative spins there to put up, be put on. Like what would it actually be if you didn't only have to watch two minutes? Where does it actually rank all time? You can do all that, but the bottom line is, it got a lot of people to check it out. It got a lot of people to check it out. And you can't take that away from it. How good was it? Like I said, I thought it was enjoyable. I had a good time. I've certainly seen better, better zombie kind of apocalypse movies. But you know what? For just a fun night in the movie theater, I had a good time watching it. And obviously, a lot of people were very interested and curious in checking out you know, a zombie apocalypse in Vegas thing. And they checked it out whether they watched for two minutes or not. So it's, it was pretty good. It's a pretty good result. No, it's a damn good result. The results are great. So you can't take that away from it. All right, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia show. Thank you guys so much for being here, making this show part of your day. Special thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett and Kimberly Kern for bringing their beautiful personalities to our show. So thank you to both of you guys. And a big special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported our channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys so much for that support. And by the way, there are still more questions to come from Garden Variety Vagabond, um, who put in a big long one, and others. Don't worry, I'm going to do companion video later tonight, and we will get caught up on all the questions that have been sent in. So keep your guys' eyes open for that companion video that's coming a little bit later. And don't forget to join us again for the John Campus Show again tomorrow guys it'll be great to have you here anyway guys that'll do it for me for now my name's john campia and until next time my friends bye bye